The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Uncommon Energy Podcast. This week we've got plenty to talk about, starting off with some unexpected results at the Salt Lake City Regional Championships this past weekend. There were also some questionable judging calls and a little bit of a rules discussion that came up after the events of the regional tournament this past weekend. We will, of course, have guess that flavor text, and we will also be looking forward how the meta does develop from here. Of course, there is the Lille Regional Championships this weekend taking place in France. We will talk about all of that and more on this week's episode. My name is Trainer Chip Ritchie, and I'm joined here, as always, by my co-host and friend Azul GG, who's coming off of a top four run in Salt Lake this past weekend. What's going on, Azul? Got to be feeling good, man. <laughs> yeah, feeling pretty good. Um, yeah, my, like, like I said last week, I think, or the week before, whatever. I've said a couple times, like I feel like, I mean, my goal for every tournament this year is to feel like I put myself in a spot to get top eight, um, and I feel like I've done that at every tournament since Milwaukee. Um, I feel like I put myself in a spot to potentially get top eight, even though, you know, I don't always get to my winning and I still feel like I made a good deck choice and I played well enough, you know, to give myself, uh, give myself a good shot. This time I got the top eight and uh, thankfully hit Grant Manley in top eight, who I don't lose to. So I managed to get top <laughs> four pretty easily. And then, of course, I did hit the Gudra, which made things a little bit rough. But still, I was happy with it. I was pretty much content with top eight. Then I, you know, got the mirror match in top uh uh, got the mirror match there, got lucky in that. So, but then I, you know, going into the top four match, I knew I was pretty much done. So I was like pretty much content with top four before the top four even started. Um, but yeah, ton of fun. I love Salt Lake City as well. Uh, a lot of cool places to eat, and I do enjoy the mountains in general. Really good scenery. Um, so I do love going to Salt Lake City. So love the regional, great time. Uh, and of course, uh, yeah, you were there as well, Chip. So how was your your experience at uh, Salt Lake City on the casting side? Yes, I was indeed there and I was there as a caster. And uh, yeah, I had a great time. I think we got a pretty good variety of decks on stream. And day one, our like main goal was to try to get a good variety, right? And feature all of the meta decks. And I think we did that with the exception of Mew VMAX, which is pretty funny. And it actually awesome. turns out by the end of the tournament, the only meta deck like the top deck um when it comes to like percentage played in the tournament that we did not feature on the stream at all through the weekend was mu vmax and i think that's possibly <laughs> the first regional or first streamed tournament <laughs> since tournaments came back in march that mu was not on the stream so some people might count that as a win some people were maybe like yeah we wouldn't have minded seeing it but uh it wasn't like intentionally avoiding mu vmax or anything like that um there's just a lot of decks in the format man i think curum was maybe our most streamed deck <laughs> in day one which kind of makes sense when we talk about the meta share which we'll get to in a little bit but yeah i also love salt lake as a regional destination so much fun lots of great food places just the vibe of the city is pretty great um with the the whole yeah. scenery and all of that and the venue's in a good spot there's a ton of hotels around so like it's pretty easy to like coordinate with people and get together hang out and do stuff so it's a, it's a really good regional spot for sure. But speaking of Salt Lake City, we're going to 
get into the results of the tournament. And we're going to just start off by talking about Azul's run a little bit, your deck choice, Azul, why you chose to run it back with the Reggies after Peoria just a couple weekends ago and uh, how you adjusted your list. Because there was definitely a few things that were quite different and some cards that I think people were not at all expecting. <laughs> yeah, so went with the Reggies once again. It kind of just felt, it kind of felt similar like uh, my run from Milwaukee to NAIC. Um, where it's like the deck didn't do well enough at Peoria for people to be that concerned with it. I'm sure it was on more people's radar, and I'm sure some of the better players took a look at it and were like, okay, this deck is maybe better than we thought it was, and we could definitely see some of the other top players potentially bringing this again. Um, we saw like Big Charms and Palkia and stuff like that. Um, I saw some Lost Cities in some Kiram decks, so people were a little bit more prepared, but not to the point where it really swings any of the matchups super hard. Um, and we didn't expect anyone to go super hard to try and beat it. And we didn't think the meta was going to really shift too much. Like, a lot of the top decks were going to stay the top decks. The meta was going to be really wide open still. Um, so it's hard to want to concern yourself with one of the smaller percentage decks anyway. So we're like, all right, Reggie's still probably the best play going into uh, Peoria overall. The only thing that we we're a little bit concerned about that we thought would be a little bit more hype was Gudra. Um, and then the <laughs> one of the tech cards that we did play was we did bring the Yellhorn. Uh, specifically to tech against Eskew. It can help against Gudra, but it's definitely not as good against Gudra as it is against Eskew and really isn't like a win condition against Gudra. If it was only good against Gudra, we wouldn't have played it, uh, but it basically gives you an auto win against Eskew. Uh, or it's they can't just you, by you. the way. Ice Q. <laughs> ice Q. You know, he's like got an ice cube on his head. Ice Q. He does. Ice Q, right? And they can't just beat you with ice Q. So they have to like kind of play the game, uh, you know, more traditionally or whatever you want to call it. And I actually did beat three Ice Qs throughout the tournament. And it also helped me get a tie against a Flying Pikachu deck. So uh, it pulled its weight for me heavily. Um, and I think some of the other guys got some ties against Gudras uh, with it or even beat a Gudra or two. So um, even though it doesn't really give you the win against Gudra, it's still a pretty bad matchup. You know, you can cheese them if you draw aggressively enough or they draw slow enough. So um, yeah, I mean, it was actually kind of funny throughout my run. I actually played against zero Mew and zero Giratina throughout the whole tournament. <laughs> I don't even remember really. I played against like three or four mirror matches. Though. I played against like a lot of mirror matches. So I mean, there was um, a ton of uh, Reggie in day two. Like it wasn't one of the yep. most played decks in day one, but I mean, the deck is just solid and it had a good conversion rate into day two. So I think that's probably where most of your Reggie mirrors came in, right? It was probably in day two. Or at know, least maybe in the, in the later rounds of day one, I guess, but... I hit two of them in day one. I played against Drew in round uh, seven. I started out 5-0, uh, and then I had my first double, not double brick, but, I mean, one of the games I played a supporter every turn and still didn't attack once. So uh, <laughs> I drew pretty bad against Cyrus playing the Arceus Tina, which is a very good matchup, and I beat one of those in day two. Um, but yeah, double bricked, uh, or not double brick, but double just didn't do anything against Cyrus in two of the games. So that was my first loss. I went to 5-1. and one. Then I played against Drew the next round, who also made top eight with Reggie's. Uh, and we decided to ID because if we play it out, then uh, the loser only gets one winning in. But if we ID, we both get two winning ins from there. And I would rather have two winning ins than, uh, you know, take the 50 50 and then have to only get one winning in after that. So I'd rather have the double winning in not up against the mirror match. Um, a lot of people told me I was probably incorrect with my choice. <laughs> if I was I can one go of back, those people. <laughs> yeah, if I could go back, maybe I would change it. But. I don't know. I felt pretty confident that I didn't want to play it out against Drew in the in the Reggie Mirror and then take my two winning ins after that. And then after that, I did beat another I played against another Reggie and I did win that mirror match. So um and then after that I got my tie against the flying Pikachu. 
I was actually going to win game three, but we just did not not even have close to enough time for me to to finish it out. Um, but yeah, just getting the win against I mean, getting the tie against Flying Pikachu, I'll kind of take that because that is a pretty pretty rough matchup as well. So yeah, going into day two, I was at you know six one two, and then I had a pretty steep climb from there, and I got pretty lucky to actually even make top eight to be honest because I needed um, I tied my last round against Grant um, in the mirror match, so I was at thirty four points but there was expected 10 people with 34 or more points. And my resistance was terrible. Um, so I knew I had to get lucky. And then John tied, uh, John Ang tied his game. And then the other person tied with 34 points got ninth. And I won out on opponents, opponents win percentage to get top eight. Um, where, like I said, I got to play against Grant in top eight, which is a free matchup for me <laughs> because I always beat Grant. I'm like six and zero against Grant lifetime. Um, so it was actually <laughs> in that match specifically, it was funny because game one, I prized double rock and he got the first attack off, but then I find my heavy ball. I get lucky and find my heavy ball, get my rock out attack. He whiffs an attack and then I get ahead and go from there. And then in game two, he had a really slow start gigas pass with like nothing else on the first turn and didn't attack till turn three. So I got the turn two attack off and just was able to keep ahead from there. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's always, I'm just destined to be grant. So I wasn't too, too nervous about it, to be honest. And then of course hit the Gujra in top, top, uh, top top four and even going into it i was kind of already like content knew when i was going to get top four and i think hale had already played against kid and caleb at that point so i knew he'd be pretty well versed against our list and in the matchup so if he and i knew his matchups against them were a little bit shakier i think he tied caleb um so i knew at this point he was definitely gonna be you know that little bit of extra practice against the reggie against some top players in the reggie matchup like he's gonna be that much better off and yeah it wasn't even it wasn't very close at all when i went up against him yeah the game i mean you got the uh, down to two prizes left in game or to a point where Hale had two prizes left and you were going for the uh, Reg Ice play, I think, right? Or not the Reg Ice play, but you you were going to go for the Yellhorn play that turn because you yeah, had yeah. KO'd one Gudra um, and drew an extra card on your stream game, right? In game <laughs> number one, got a double prize penalty and just yeah. lost right away. But uh, I mean, that's just kind of part of it. We'll talk about the uh, the, uh, the penalties in these type of situations a little bit later on in this podcast. But regardless of all of that, incredible run, top four. Congratulations, Azul. Going 10, one, and four going into top cut. So you did tie four games, uh, yeah. but only lost one match, which is pretty impressive in a 15-round tournament. So. Yeah, only the one loss, like I said, to Cyrus. A couple rough draws. And it was a double that's brick, the, right? Yeah, well, not not quite double brick. I was playing supporters, but I wasn't attacking. So it's like, it's effectively I mean, if you're missing attacks, like it kind of, yeah. like that has to count as a brick a little. Like, I mean, you're playing supporters, yeah. but just not hitting energies. Maybe not a yeah. brick, but just like whiffing way too hard. Yeah, and that's literally all you're trying to avoid is Reggie is just like drawing poorly in two games in a set. I would literally trade not drawing poorly two games in a set to literally dead draw one of one one game every single match i'd be fine with that if so i could would just you play scoop games pretty quickly whenever you like looked at these hands with like stadium double ordinary rod two reggies you know like like stuff that's just not really working for you would you scoop kind of early or were you kind of playing into a few turns at least uh, i would definitely play it a couple turns especially if i felt like there was enough time left in the round uh in the in the round left still like if i won game one really fast then i would play out game two even if i was drawing pretty poorly for a little while because uh, a lot of the matchups, you're just a research away from an attack, and then you're still favored in the prize trade with Reggie. Like, once the prize trade is out of reach, I would just concede immediately. But, like, if it's just like, if I was up against a Kiram, even when they get down to three prize cards left, you can just go attack, 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 and the game still ends in your favor. So, um, and you never know when you're, because you're literally just a research away from just being able to attack sometimes. So, especially because, like, you're not usually doing nothing. You're, like, drawing a couple cards with Drago, or you're using 
uh, Reggie Gate, and you're still getting another gate, another Reggie into play. So you're still like kind of progressing your board state towards getting close to be able to attack. Um, but you sometimes you're just not attacking that turns, but you're just, you're just like a researcher or a Marnie away. So I would stick it out up until the price shortage, the price shortage is out of reach. And then I would, um, pack it up. I'm not going to wait for my opponent to like completely throw the match. If they all, all they have to do is attack three times in a row and basically have three attackers set up. And I'll just ask you about a couple cards in the list real quick before, uh, we move on, I guess maybe one card in the list and one card that is not <laughs> in the list that might surprise some people. You guys played no copies of Boss's Orders, and you yep. did play the Astral Radiance Reggie Alecki, which is a card that you guys had not played the previous weekend. People have played it here and there. I know Drew has pretty much always played this card, um, but you've, I mean, this has always kind of been called the bad Alecki, right? Because yeah. the, the uh, Evolving Skies Alecki is the main one you want to attack with, but uh, why did you decide Astral Radiance Alecki was worth playing? Why did we go with no bosses orders? And also, one thing that does feel a little random that people might question would be the one copy of Pokegear 3.0. <laughs> if you want to just talk about those three <laughs> things real quick. Yeah, so no boss. We actually almost didn't play any boss for Peoria. Uh, it saved me one match in Peoria. But uh, overall, we came to the conclusion that we don't really need it. And if the majority of our opponents just don't or think we play it, but we don't play it, That'll be a good enough advantage in making them play around it to be in a good enough spot already. And in most situations, in most matchups, Bad Lucky does what Boss would do anyways. It cleans up a knockout off the bench um, to get your final prize cards. Like, Boss would bring something up, knock it out for your final prize cards. Now you just go, okay, Bad Lucky, uh, snipe, KO the thing anyways. And it does effectively the same thing in almost every single matchup in every scenario. A one of Boss would still be nice, and it does give you a better Flying Pikachu matchup. Um, so it would be nice for that. That would have been something that would have been nice. Maybe Caleb could have won his uh, won his top eight match if he had if we had the boss, but uh, didn't end up going with it. And then the bad lucky, uh, I think I mentioned, or or, or uh, that's that's no boss, and the bad lucky kind of replaces that. And the only reason we really played the bad lucky um, is because we didn't play the boss, but is more so because we played the Yellhorn because we were trying to beat uh, Ice Q. Um, and when you play the Yellhorn, it confuses the Ice Q. But if they just retreat it and then get it back into the active and can attack with it again. It doesn't do anything. So you have to be able to repeatedly use the Yellhorn to actually have a to have the 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 game winning effect of it. Um, and I was able to do that three times throughout the tournament. I played against yeah the first attack, uh, electromagnetic sonar. Yeah, put a trainer card from your discard pile into your hand. Maybe people might not <laughs> really be tracking with what the <laughs> that is because most people think about just the the discard two lightnings to snipe one twenty. But that is yeah. definitely a solid option, and that's kind of what you used it for, right? Yeah, yeah. use the sonar. And you just like get the Yellhorn back, or I use it in a lot of other situations as well. I recovered Ordinary Rods, and it's actually one of your best Pokemon to start with when you go second, because it can kind of cover any situation depending on how your turn plays out. So if you like play a research and then don't have another supporter, you can just attach an energy to it and recover your research. Or if you do have a supporter, you can just recover a Quick Ball to get more Reggie's next turn, or just get a Trekking Shoes out of your discard pile, or or an Ordinary Rod if you lost too many on your initial research or anything like that. And just get stuff back to then have more fuel for your next turn or just later in the game. So it's a really good card. I use it a lot in general besides recovering Yellhorn. Uh, and like I said, I played against three SQs, beat all of them uh, because I had the Yellhorn. So it definitely pulled its weight overall for me throughout the tournament. Um, played against Cal and Vaughn with the, the Palkia. They had the SQ in there. And then I played against Ice a Q. Lost Gate Ice Q. <laughs> and then I played against a Lost Gate that also had the Ice Q in there. So came in pretty clutch for me. Otherwise, I would have probably lost all of those matchups. Yeah, pretty because, hard uh, <laughs> card to beat otherwise. I mean, if you have yeah, boss no and they don't have Manaphy, like you can boss into the bench and then Aleki snipe it, I guess. But like, 
that yeah. involves them not having manaphy, which they usually will. So this really does feel like it was the best card to to tech for that situation. So good looks, good call there. Now let's break down. Before we talk about the results of Salt Lake, we'll talk about what the meta for the tournament looked like. And if you remember what the meta looked like in Peoria, this is actually really, really similar. The top five decks remained the same, though the order in which they appear does change slightly. So the most played deck in Salt Lake City was Comfy Giratina V-Star. And this is actually something we talked about last week, how we felt like yeah. this had a good chance to be the most popular deck. That does end up being the case, but not by much. Kyurem VMAX being the second most popular deck, only eight less players on that version. Uh, and that's the, the same top two decks from Peoria just flip-flopped. Kyurem was most popular in Peoria. Now it's Giratina was most popular this past weekend. Yeah, so they switched, uh, which I expect. I didn't expect Kyurem to be number one. I thought Kyurem would actually fall a little bit further. Um, my prediction was that it would maybe end up in the spot that Mew ended up in, in kind of that outside the 100-plus zone. Um, that's kind of how I was predicting decks for this tournament. Like, I predicted, you know, Giratina would be in the 100 plus zone. I thought Mew would stay in the 100 plus zone. And I thought Palkia and Talion would also be in the 100 plus zone. So I didn't get the the Mew and the the Palkia or the Kyurem. I kind of mismatched. Um, I'm not super surprised to see Giratina be the most popular deck. I think a lot of people really like the deck. I think it's a very versatile deck. It's got a good matchup spread. Um, it is a lot. I feel like just Lost Gate decks in general, though, or Mirage Gate decks, any like Lost Gate or the Giratina decks that play Mirage Gate. Uh, I kind of I forget who I talked about this. It's like you're you're gonna do something every turn with the deck, but you're not gonna always do what you want to do. Yes. Like sometimes you have to settle for attacking with Cram or attacking with Shredder for your Giratina V Star. Like you don't always get to do what you want. You or always do something. You're just passing. Like yeah. <laughs> like uh, I remember in Nick Moffat's top eight game against Caleb Rogerson in game number two, like Nick was seeing a ton of cards, but he was just getting really awkward orders of cards. He was forced to make really awkward decisions and lost zone good cards, which you're going to have to do with the deck every single game, yep. right? It's just a matter of lost zoning just the right amount of good card resources. Um, and Nick didn't ever pull off an attack in game number two, in part because Caleb was able to be really aggressive with cross switcher in that game. But it's just... Um, even though Nick was doing things, he wasn't getting to the end goal and like really wasn't that close to it. It was like just missing two pieces of the combo of like Mirage Gate plus Rod to put energies back or like had too many energies in hand and stuff like that. So <laughs> sometimes it's just, I mean, the deck does get a little awkward in those spots but kiram being yeah. the second most popular it was the most popular in peoria i do still think the deck is very powerful um and i think that is really just is what is drawing the player base to this deck because um it has incredibly aggressive starts the rapid freeze on the kiram v yeah. just puts on so much pressure especially because those turns you're going second you can pretty easily get a couple capacious buckets in your hands to just fill the board up with energy um and if people don't know how to navigate facing down that pressure you can really just steal pretty quick wins with it yeah, so it has that power. I think the problem with Kiram uh, is it is a little clunky. It is pretty susceptible to Marnie is, and Pass. Yes. Uh, and the deck, even though it looks like it has a versatile amount of options, it is extremely hard to pivot into attacking with another Pokemon efficiently in the deck. 
you play a couple switch cards but to get from like kiram into greninja and then still have a follow-up game plan or get from greninja into kiram or kiram into a palkia is so difficult it's not difficult to kind of get to the next attacker or to like stop attacking with the kiram and then attack with something else but it's difficult to then set up your next attacker after that so sometimes you're just like very obviously gonna only be able to attack with like back-to-back kirams and if your opponent knows that I mean, just back-to-back three projects isn't always, like, the best thing to try and run into, right? So, like, I don't know. I feel like the deck just, like, that's the most awkward part about it is, like, it's very hard for the deck to kind of pivot around into different options kind of uh, in an efficient way to then follow up with your next most uh, efficient attacker for the situation. It's just awkward. I feel like it's the problem with the deck. And then, yeah, Marnie Path's pretty good against it. Or Marnie's and Path's. And then Palkia and Mew switched places from Peoria. I think that was opposite there. Uh, Palkia being over yeah. 100 players on the deck, 12% of the metagame. Still the deck I think most people consider the best deck. Is that still no. the case? Like, would you still consider it the BDIF, though it hasn't had, like, insane placements? It didn't win the tournament, obviously, as well. It didn't win the tournament. There was still one in top eight. I mean, I think like the just like it was hard for anything else to be in top cut when there's four Reggie in top cut, right? It was still <laughs> in top cut, right? Like you, there was no, there was no Sablezard in top cut. There was no Mew in top cut. There was no Zorak in top cut. I mean, it was still there at least, right? And you know, Bradner was on the winning against Caleb, so there was almost two Palkias in top cut. And then we definitely would be just be like, oh yeah, it's still the BIF. There was still there was it went from three to in top cut to two in top cut. And even though there was sure. four Reggie in top cut. I don't think anyone's going to call Reggie the BDIF because I think the deck is not super easily counterable, counterable, but like um, it's, you can't counter Palkia and Teleon. You just can't, you can counter Reggie. If you re- like Jake Gearhart played two law city in his Palkia, I'm sure he was waiting to play against all the Reggies. <laughs> I'm so thankful. I dodged Gearhart throughout the tournament, but you just can't counter Palkia and Teleon. It's uncounterable and it has options to counter pretty much any top deck in the format and make those easier matches for. Him. So yeah. it's definitely still, uh, the BDIF, and I expect its numbers like going into you know the last couple of tournaments in this format to just increase or it'll maintain. I don't think we'll see it like under twelve percent of the meta. I'd yeah. be shocked if it fell. I agree. I think it is still going to stay a big part of the meta, and I think people also maybe uh, would have a hard time understanding the the grasping the concept of a difference between the BDIF best deck in format and then the best deck for a tournament because those are not yeah, tournament meta. Those are not the same thing, right? Because tournament yeah. meta is always shifting, always changing, and if you can find ways, but especially in this format, because the meta is so diverse compared to something like NAIC in Milwaukee, where there was really three decks that took up. 70% of the meta it felt like yeah. um you know since there is like in nine rounds you could play five different decks very easily in this meta right oh now. yeah so um I think that yeah. that makes Palkia feel less dominant but it is still I think a cut above the rest of the decks in the format as far as just power and um you know options yeah, like I didn't play against Mew or Giratina at all, and that makes up twenty, almost twenty five percent of the meta, right? Like I almost a quarter of the meta, and I didn't see any of them, um, because you know there's so many other decks that you could hit uh, or could play against. But yeah, Palkia is still going to be uh, top dog. I think I something else I was going to say about it too. Now it's like slipped my mind. What was I going to say um, about I don't Palkia? Know. Still be the top. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say something else about Palkia. About best like deck a... in format versus best deck for the oh, yeah, meta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so be- best deck in format just means if you take the card pool. What do you think has the 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 just the most general power level? What's the high? What deck has the highest power level? Irrelevant of what you're gonna play against. You don't think, oh, but what if you hit Flying Pikachu eight rounds in a row? You don't think about that. You're just like, okay, what deck is the most powerful? And that's 
the best deck in the format in the card pool you have available to you in the standard format and then there's the general meta which is ge- what, what is generally being played you know at the current moment in the meta um and then there is like more individual stuff like tournament meta like if a lot of people went back and they played the if they had to play the exact same deck for uh you know salt lake city regionals they would tech for reggie right 100 sure. right yes. a ton of more people would be taking for if you had to play the exact same deck you would tech for reggie and that's like preparing for the specific tournament meta right like i don't expect that to be for reggie in top cut of leal regionals so i don't think you have to tech for reggie going to leal but it definitely is a little bit more on people's radars right so that'd be like okay how do i predict predict the next tournament meta around what the general meta is um knowing that palkia and talion is the best deck in the format and then just rounding out the rest of the top six most played decks, because that's what the graph was that we showed up on the stream. We have the Comfy Sableye, Radiant Charizard. Or sorry, we have the Mew VMAX at the fourth most played, 67, 63 yeah. so players off. on the uh, Comfy Sableye, Radiant Zard, and then 60 players on the Hisuian Zorak V-Star. So that was definitely a big uptick from Peoria last weekend, I guess seeing people uh seeing the fact that the deck made top eight gave people a little bit more confidence in zork as a play potentially yeah i guess i mean that might have been like the boost i also think like, i think zork's pretty good actually um, i think you just it, said you didn't like it last week did i probably no but the meta the meta is like getting better for it sure, like besides sure. the reggie matchup and you if you want to tech for reggie your deck gets so much clunkier you could go the full tech route but you need like dunsparce manaphy uh, and then even like then, heavy avery or something no if you just have that like you theoretically win the prize just based on those two if you swing first right because they're 2k on you you're 2k you're drawing two prizes per zork like i mean i guess um, if you people are keeping if they're copying your list no boss right yeah yeah the boss would make things a lot more awkward for sure um and the, but if you have a charon's care or two in there and you pull one of those off sure. you're still gonna get ahead it is a lot of spaces to commit when the deck wants to be pretty consistent but you know we're seeing sables are sables are probably had the worst conversion rate i would guess I think out so, of yeah out of these decks maybe zork matches it zork might match it but there was a decent amount of zork in day two um so i wouldn't be surprised if zables had the worst conversion rate uh just the one prize decks in general aren't doesn't seem besides reggie maybe they're just not that great and zork i like i like i've said this like every week zork is the king of beatdown like it'll beat mew it beats palky in my opinion it beats Kiram, and i think you beat Garatina. i think you're favored against all of those matchups if you're playing a fast consistent build you do come up short a little bit to Reggie's, and if your deck does become less consistent because you're attacking for Reggie's, your match your matchup spread is going to hurt against all of the you know the yeah. beatdown matchups. You're going to have a worse uh, time against Palkia, especially. I think like your shot yeah. against Palkia is going to be you being a more consistent deck than them because yeah. I mean for how powerful Palkia is, like I think there's no doubt that if Palkia turn one gets two Sobbles, Gradient Greninja, and Palkia in play, uh, then it's going to like just be a great game right most of the time um because it like the drizzle shady dealings engine is just so insanely good but so often if you with that battle vip pass turn one if you uh don't have heavy quick ball and crowbat which is what some players are on i know cal i played it in uh peoria to the second place finish isaiah bradner has been on the the crowbat for a while as well um if you're not having those extra cards to kind of get you out of those spots, your consistency is pretty weak comparatively, especially to something like Zork, which is like much more straightforward, but uh, has like a similar power level. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. So once you get going in that two price trade, then like Zork's going to take over. And like Palkia, like one of the reasons Palkia is like so good is like when you have the explosive games, you're ahead and in, in control. But when you have the slower games, if you're up against like the Tina or like a Sablezard, you're still in a fine spot, right? You still probably turn to attack with Palkia and you can kind of stabilize after that whiffing that VIP pass turn one. But you can't really do that against Zorark. So 
um, unless they have like a really really slow start but zork is pretty consistent the deck's like pretty consistent when it's built to be consistent i feel like so um uh, and i think i guess like i guess like i guess like the other deck to to mention was there was i think mew there was still a decent amount of day two and mew but they were all towards the bottom half of the the one did get ninth the the bubble was yes mew. and then all, um, i mean riley and uh mahone both got top 32 as well oh did they okay yeah. okay i guess yeah so, yeah, so there's still a decent amount of Mew in day two. So I think Mew, Mew had a decent conversion rate. Zorak and Sable, I definitely I think had the worst out of these top six. And then Zorak seemed to do okay. I saw more Zorks and Sable, uh, Sable Zards in day two. Yeah, so still a pretty diverse meta. We talked about this last week. Um, uh, one other thing I guess I just did want to touch on uh, a little bit because last week we talked about how a lot of top players are disliking the meta. And the comment section of last week's video was filled with people talking about how much they are really enjoying this format and love the deck variety. And that's awesome. Like, you know, the most important thing about Pokemon for most people is that they are enjoying it and loving it, right? Yep. And uh, if you're enjoying the variety of the format, that is great. And, you know, and we, we also appreciate the fact that it's just not literally palkia 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 arkintel mew palkia 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 which is what it was right yeah yeah the variety is nice um i think the meta is so a meta is as wide as player as as of bad decks our players are willing to play right as long as people are willing to play bad decks in a big enough percentage the meta is is wider then it like but i guess like you're kind of comparing it to like to the point of like when is a, me a meta truly refined to its optimal point right which could come down to just being like three decks being played right but yeah so the meta is only as wide as 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 long as people are willing to play potentially potentially worse decks right sometimes the meta is wide because there is so many good decks and there's so much diversity i think the current meta is not quite as wide as people think i think kiram is the deck that i look at personally and tina a little bit as well as being a little bit overplayed i don't think those decks are actually as good as their play rate um where I think when you look back at previous metas, when Mew was like 20% of the meta and stuff like that, I think, or even 30%, actually, it was like 30% for the first three regionals of the of the year. I think that was warranted. Um, but Giratina being 15, Kirim being 14, I think for the power levels of the deck, that's not really warranted. I think I think we should be seeing an uptick in stuff like Palkia. And I actually think Mew actually might be a more powerful deck than those two, to be honest. I actually really like the new build of Mew. Um, and of course, but the, the bad thing about Mew, I think it's more powerful in a vacuum, but once the Drapions make their way into the vacuum yeah, as well. That's where, it gets, that's where it becomes a problem. So Mew's going to be a little bit of hit or miss depending on how, how Drapiani people are feeling on the day, I guess. Yeah, and I think that's probably what is scaring people off of Mew and why it wasn't one of those 100-plus yeah. <laughs> decks because, like, I mean, all of the Giratina decks are, for the most part, playing Drapion, right? So if they Drapion one and Star Requiem the other, they just win the game. <laughs> There's not really anything <laughs> you can do about it. Uh, we did see the Heroes medal come out a little bit as a tech, right? Um, so yeah. some people are kind of on that. I know that's a card you played in Mew stop. in the past, right? So Yeah, it doesn't stop Star Requiem, though. Star Requiem still draws three Yeah, it's got to be the early option. Yeah. Right? It's, it's got to yeah. be, be the first Mew VMAX, the one that they're going to drape you on, has to have the medal. Yeah, yeah. So it gives you like some. Yeah, if you get, you have to find it early. But Mew's pretty good at that. They got the crayons, right? They're pretty good at finding cards when they yeah, need you can to. Get so anything, bro. Literally could put a Skylight in there even plus one of any any item card. <laughs> I'm not talking. You could find Cross Switcher or Tablet. What? Maybe that could be the next. You can find Cross Switcher, finds Tablet, can find your Heroes Metal or Parasol. Parasol is also like a a reasonable option because if you Heroes Metal a Mew, they could still KO it with Giratina with the 280. But if you Parasol it. They can't 280 it. Oh, I guess they can still drape you on you, though. Yeah, never mind. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. I thought. Never mind. <laughs> they can still, yeah, they have 
they have the answers. Yeah, Heroes Metal has to be the way. You have to find it like literally turn two though. Two before they get to, two Heroes Metal. Two Heroes Metal. That was that was the thing. I know James Cox was the one who was running that in like like three or four events in a row. It was like the a regional and SP. I don't know. Yeah, he was rocking that in the in the Mew for a little while. The double Heroes Metal to deal with the Arceus baby dark yeah, stuff a the, while back. The Moltres and all. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah, I think uh, uh, I, I said, definitely think I think Mew could go on an uptick for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely shown its consistency. I mean, uh, JW and Mahone back-to-back weekends had, uh, or not back-to-back weekends, back-to-back tournaments had super good results, obviously. Uh, there was a player on the outside looking in ninth place. So, it, I mean, it's just opponents, opponents resistance away from being in top cut. So Mew is definitely still very strong, even with Drapion running around. And then maybe if players look at this top cut and see less Mew, maybe they start to think, okay, can I cut the Drapion from my deck if there's less yeah. Mew? And then it becomes the whole thing of like, okay, less Drapion, now Mew's way better. And yeah, the meta <laughs> within the meta, right? Yeah, it's like the... the, the I, we're not quite at the Decidueye cycle. Um, <laughs> I don't know if we'll get there. I don't know if we'll, en- we'll enter the Decidueye cycle, but we might. Um, and we even saw like like uh, Caleb Rogerson cut the cut the Drapion from the Palkia. Didn't run the Drapion in the Palkia, so yeah. um, wasn't too afraid. And you don't really need it in Palkia, to be honest, as well. It is nice, and it kind of gives you, I feel like, an, almost an auto win. I don't know how Mew could ever handle a Palkia deck with a Drapion. That feels abysmal to go up against. Um, and I think uh, Cal probably won ridiculous amount of games against Mew with the Drapion in Peoria. But yeah, definitely not necessary for that deck. So yeah, I think Mew is definitely the deck to like... That's like the, not the gamble deck, but like definitely always going to be a really solid play. It's just like how many people are going to show up with Drapion on the day. Well, let's talk about the results of the tournament now. We've talked about the meta. Now let's talk about what actually ended up happening at the event. And I would say two more unexpected decks in the finals of the event. Of course, the tournament was won by Hale Olbernolte. It's a player that many of the people who started playing over the last couple of years probably don't recognize Hale's name, but yeah. Hale's a very, very good player. You know, most of the people who've been around for a while <laughs> definitely know who Hale is. He's gotten second place at two regionals over the last few years, and he actually did win a regionals back in 2013. So this is his second regionals win, and he was able to do it with the Arceus Gudra. Yeah, Arceus Guja in the finals, and uh, I really liked the, I really liked the the list. I really liked the chorus. That's the thing that stood out to me the most. I didn't know, uh, no one mentioned to me because I had had two of the two of my other teammates play against Hale throughout the day, and no one mentioned to me that he was playing chorus. It wasn't a huge surprise when I saw, it, and it kind of made sense. But uh, he played. I was like, wait, what? There's chorus in here. Why did no one mention this to me? <laughs> uh, it didn't really change anything, but I just thought that'd be something that maybe one of them would have mentioned to me. Maybe they just thought it was default. But it's really good in decks like Gudra, where you don't have a draw engine built into the deck. So it naturally thins your deck without sacrificing resources as consistently as something like Research. Hale still ran the one Research, but then played four Colts' Experiment. Because you look at the top five, you take two, you lost on the other two. So you take the good cards or the better cards. Sometimes you do have to get rid of good cards on uh, a Colrus. So you take the better course, cards, yes. lost on two of them. So when you get start getting Marnied and Roxanne, which is kind of sometimes the the bane of some of these decks where you don't have like a built-in draw engine like a B-Barrel or a Shady Dealings and Teleon to work with, um, you're going to draw dead less often off of those Marnies and Roxanne's as the game continues because your deck is so thinned out because of the Colrus' experiment. So I thought that was right. like a 
a great way to play the deck, I think. Absolutely. I mean, if we look at this deck, the way that it operates in game plan, and you can see this in pretty much all of Hale's games, is you want to go with one Arceus V-Star and two Gudras. Sometimes he would go for the second Arceus, but it's usually one Arceus, two Gudras. But you play a 4-2 Arceus line, and then you play a ton of search cards still, the Ultra Balls, the Evolution Incense, the four Quick Balls, all of these things... But once you are established and have your Pokemon in play, you don't need the extra Arceus V. You don't need the extra Ultra Balls and stuff. So these become uh, kind of useless cards that clunk up your deck for Roxanne's and Marnie's in the late game. And Chorus's experience can remove them from your deck entirely. Yeah, get rid of them. Don't have to ever see them again. You draw into your Hyper Potions more consistently off Marnie's. You draw into your Double Turbos. I mean, and just seeing kind of five cards off the top. I mean, who? Uh, we've always joked about, like, you know, how we've got cards like Trevor, Tierno, whatever, draw three <laughs> cards. Uh, and they've, like, always flirted with giving us a draw four card, but we've never gotten it. We've always gotten, like, bad ways to draw four cards off the top. Yeah. And I think Robin wrote an article or made a post once about why draw four in Pokemon would just be absolutely broken. Um or why it would be maybe just a little bit too high a power level and why they haven't given us that quite yet. Course's experiment is kind of a pseudo draw five, right? I mean, you do have the yeah. downside of lost zoning stuff, but just seeing five cards off the top and not having to lose things that you've already accrued in your hand is very strong. Yeah, yeah it lets you kind of build up um, the one decent draw four we've had, which only worked in the tag team guard war deck, yes. was that one where if you're tag coach team, trainer, if you're active as a tag, yeah, coach trainer, if you're active as a tag team, you draw four. It just allows you to kind of like almost like build on your hand and also kind of craft your hand um, and not lose the potential of the cards you currently have to combo with cards you could get. Right. Bro, Every time you play a Marty, you I get like a, if, a random four. Wonder if he could have played the Ice Scan. Ice Con, is that what its name is? Ice Can? What does it do? It's uh draw two cards. If your active Pokemon has Hisuian in its name, draw two more. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously Arceus not great when active. you have Arceus in your active, yeah. right? But that would be maybe the problem. Maybe it's like a one there. of. <laughs> yeah, maybe as like a one of uh for like the mid-late game. Just an extra draw supporter to not have to discard your hand. Um but yeah, that's what course does so well. Like you get to hold on to your your hyper potion or your double turbo and then you use chorus and then you go get the hyper potion or the double turbo and then you can actually use hyper potion in your turn you just kind of build up your hand um or allow yourself to combo cards with the current cards in your hand with the cards you draw instead of just like you know playing marty and hoping to get the, the two cards you need now you get to keep one of them and combo with the future stuff you get off of of course and start to build up towards bigger plays so so art um, Udra yeah. was a deck that we talked about last week and i mean similarly to arceus duraludon it feels like a deck that most of the top players we talk about this a lot like the opinions of the top players but it's just yeah. a deck that most of them want to stay away from uh because they feel like it's super linear and there's ways to play around the strategies right and when you play against better players they're gonna know how to you know kind of get around the cheesy tanky healing that your deck is trying to employ so what about the meta in salt lake city was right for hail to be able to make such a deep run so i think reggie's definitely played a part <laughs> i think that definitely yeah. boosted hail's uh chance to win but so i haven't played any games with Gujar Arceus. zero games because the last couple i haven't streamed in like four weeks <laughs> it's been a while a lot of traveling a uh, little bit of being sick I'm finally gonna get back to all that stuff this week. I'm happy. To, I'm like excited to stream. I haven't streamed in so long. I'm like excited to do it. Um, so excited to get back into that. And I'll actually probably play some games with Arceus Kudra. But um, <clears throat> the um, yeah, if those matchups are like fine, 
then I actually think the deck is just pretty good. So, like, my opinion, I don't really have a strong opinion of the deck because I never played it. And there was a couple decks that I wanted to try ideally test more going into Peoria and this tournament, which was uh, Arceus Gudra and then Arceus B-Barrel Marnie Path plus X, which we did see, you know, the Flying Pikachu get second. I just wanted to, I just had played zero games with these decks in format, these Arceus decks. And I was like, I don't know how good they are. I don't know what they beat. I don't know what they lose to. Um, and yeah, <laughs> so I was like, I, I wish I'd had time to play with those decks, but I haven't been streaming or making content the last couple of weeks. I've just been busy with traveling, not really playing that much Pokemon, to be honest. Um, so I had no clue. But yeah, if you can handle like the Tina with this, if this list can like handle Tina and the other stuff, then like the deck is just good. I do agree with you, though. It does seem like, you know, top players tend to try tend to try and stray away from these decks. But, um, you know, if I had played it and I felt like it had just the highest win percentage in the meta, I would have played this for for. Uh, What's it called as well? I would have played this for Salt Lake City as well, but I was having no no testing with it. Reggie seemed like the better play to me, but I mean, yeah, I just that's where I'm at with Gudra. I don't know if you played anything with it. Not very much, no. Um, but that was something Hale as well talked about. I think in one of his winners interviews, he was interviewed. Hale was on the stream a lot <laughs> this past yeah. weekend. He <laughs> got streamed in day one and in day two, and then top four and final. So he had four of his matches streamed. So there's plenty of Gudra content out there if you want to go watch any of those games. Um, but in one of his winners interviews, I believe um, one of the things he talked about was like, you know, how this was a deck that a lot of people just didn't respect as a as a great deck. Most players kind of just naturally stayed away from it, but he kind of recognized the power level of it. And that's what led to him wanting to go with it. Um, we'll talk about the Pikachu deck next that James Thiel played. But before we get into the deck, something that I think is really cool that we should mention as well. Um, whenever we're collecting player accomplishments and stuff like that for to put up on the stream. Uh, for top cut players uh james the only accomplishment that james had to put up on the screen was a first place win at a league challenge in 2018 um so that is just to say to anyone listening who maybe feels like intimidated about like going to an 800 plus person tournament like salt lake city was um because you don't feel experienced or like you know worried about <laughs> any of that type of stuff i mean james this was his first regionals day two. I talked to him a little bit after the finals first regionals day two, and he ends up getting second place. And uh, with a deck that I think not really anyone was expecting to see very much of at this tournament, the Arceus V star flying Pikachu. Yeah, actually to, uh, kind of like before we talk about the Arceus flying Pikachu, to kind of talk about that in general. I actually had this conversation with someone recently about like, you know, nerves going to your first tournament or yeah, going to yeah. a big tournament. And uh, I was like, I almost like never had that experience because when I first started playing, I just loved playing Pokemon. I didn't care about like consistently doing well or winning. And I won the first regionals I played in masters. I won, like I won my first regionals in masters. Right. But I did, if I didn't do well, I wouldn't have cared. It's, it's really weird the way the game is. And I'm not trying to just brag. Right. It's just like, to kind I'll of say, put I'll say my first regionals, I went like three, five or three, four or something. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I did really bad at my first regionals, but in the same spot as Azul, I just loved playing Pokemon and yeah. wanted to go play. So that I think like, aside from the competition, go for the Pokemon TCG experience. Right. Yeah. To kind of put that in perspective, that's what I wanted to kind of put it in perspective. It was like, because I feel like back then, and the big thing from like when I thought about it, like, and as I played throughout all the years leading up to where I am now, you know, 10, 11 years later, I never really had that experience of showing up to it. I never, I can't think of it at a point in when I played Pokemon, because I kind of naturally progressed with the growth of the game to the point where I show up to a regional and I was like, oh, this is this, this term is going to be too big. How do I pick a deck? What do I do? Like all these kind of things that people come to me with questions about, because I kind of grew as the game developed that 
kind of um, atmosphere or uh, environment where now when people like are going to these Pokemon tournaments, they're worried about getting championship points and getting their invite. What deck do they play? And I feel like so many less people are just showing up to just kind of bring a Pokemon deck they really enjoy playing. And I always talk about trying to play like the optimal deck and that kind of stuff. But like, I feel like so many less people just kind of show up just to play Pokemon with their favorite deck and aren't worried about getting championship points or placing well. There's such a bigger pressure on everyone um, in Pokemon just to like try and do well or try and get your invite or try and at least place to get championship points, which is like good, right? Like the competition is good and having a goal is good, but I feel like it puts... Uh, it puts a lot of people in a bad mental space uh, throughout a tournament or going into a tournament overall. Um, like when I compare it back to the first one of the first the, my first regional and masters where it was just like I just showed up with my favorite deck and played Pokemon. Right. I wasn't thinking about my invite or placing well or doing this or doing that. I just showed up, had fun with my friends and played Pokemon. Right. Like it, it feels like the game is developed and it all of a sudden has this atmosphere where everyone is like worried about all these other little things yeah. yeah like everything's gotten way more hyper competitive which is like not a bad thing but i also feel like it does detract from kind of the overall enjoyment of the game a little bit well, just I, as a whole i do think there are still tons of people every single tournament who just show up because they love pokemon and want to play pokemon right people who live yeah, of course around the area where these tournaments are there we just see and talk about it a lot less because you know these are the players who are just hanging out you know, they didn't, they, they lost in the early rounds, their records, they can't make day two, but they're still playing it out in round six, seven, eight, because they enjoy the game and just love playing Pokemon. Uh, we don't talk about that on Twitter. We don't talk about that on yeah. the official broadcast, but there's just still tons of people out there in the field playing Pokemon. So don't, uh, definitely don't be discouraged by any of those things. And you never know. It, your first day two could lead to your first top eight could lead to yeah. a second place finish, which is what <laughs> happened for James Steele. And now we can move on and talk about the Arceus Flying P. So Azul, obviously you are probably one of the more experienced players with this deck. You did win the North American International Championships with Arceus Flying P with the Bieberel, though this list is a bit different. The whole new set, the whole new meta. Of course, it's got the four Marnies, three Pass to the Peak, one Collapse Stadium, the double Drapion V, uh, the Espeon VMAX as well. This really does feel like kind of just an anti-meta Arceus deck. Yeah, definitely like full anti-meta. Um, the double Drapion is something like, you know, you just kind of lock up your Mew matchup now. You got the flying Pikachus for the Palkia, of course. And then you got the Espeon, the 1-1 Espeon VMAX with the solar, uh, solar Revelation ability. Prevent all effects of attacks from your opponent's Pokemon. Don't do all of your Pokemon have any energy attached to them. So, of course, when you once you use your uh, a Trinity... Oh, it's all Pokemon, too. It's not just V Pokemon, right? Yes. So, yeah. yeah, once you use trinity nova you're just putting like an energy on each of your v pokemon and then if you're up against like a, a loss on deck with sableye you attach an energy for turn to your b barrel to protect that from sableye and then your your board is sableye proof your board is tina star requiem proof flying pikachus are one of ko and palkias drapions are one of ko and mu v maxes and with punkaboo in there even when mu hits you with that late game roxanne path like if you just find your punkaboo you're just good to go second drapion knock out their uh <laughs> knock out their second mu so super anti-meta deck I think overall, like when you compare this to the other builds of Flying Pikachu that we've seen take down events like me at NAIC or Andre at Worlds, uh, the Palkia matchup is definitely going to be a little bit worse. A lot more junk in here. I think consistency yeah. is key against Palkia. Still got the path, uh, pretty heavy path count in three and the and the four Marnie. So you still have that solid game plan plus the Flying Pikachu against Palkia. So it's not going to be a, a terrible Palkia matchup by any chance, but it's going to be closer uh, for sure than like the other builds. But I think, yeah, I mean... As long as like this was this, once again, like I don't have too strong of an opinion on this deck because I see the Drapions, I see the, the flying Pikachu. 
But like I said, I didn't really test many Arceus decks going into these last two tournaments, didn't have the time. But it seems like the Espeon's enough to get through the, the Lost Zone decks. And that's that's my big question mark. Is that enough? But it seems like it is, right? I think Espeon was hyped up a little bit pre-Peoria, but didn't really get talked about afterwards because toward one with Lost Box or the Sableye Charizard deck with four path, right? And obviously path yeah. shuts off Espeon's ability, but it is still very good against Giratina and Giratina ended up being the most played deck. Um, so yeah, I mean, this is the type of deck that if you just draw well with your counters and you're going to have some clunky cards in every single matchup, right? Like you're not really wanting to utilize your Espeon stuff against Mew VMAX. So that's just going to be kind of floating around in the deck while you're trying to find your Drapion yeah. pieces. You're not really going to want flying Pikachu in a lot of instances unless you're playing against the Palkia or Reggie. So they're just going to be once again floating around, stuck in the deck, uh, trying to... Um, get set up and find whatever combo you're wanting to get to. One thing um, about this deck for James, though, that I do like as well is he's got the kept, uh, sorry, the powerful colorless energy in here uh, as opposed to Glarian Zigzagoon, which is something that a lot of people have been playing. The bench space for this deck definitely gets really filled up super fast. With yeah. Minion and Crobat <laughs> as well. And that was something that actually kind of was uh, bad for James in the, the finals in game one, especially his bench just got really kind of clogged up. And that's in ultimately why he ended up losing the game is because there wasn't a, a space for him to have another attacker to go into after whatever he had in the, the active was going to go down. So, um, uh, but all that to say, um, I like the powerful colorless energy because you can anytime you go first and attach a double turbo energy, you can threaten a turn to KO on a Pokemon V, be it a Palkia, an Arceus, um, a Mew, a Genesect, a Giratina V, whatever it is. If you just get the double turbo energy down on turn one, you can then go Starbirth uh and try to find the combination of choice belt boss and powerful colorless energy to take that knockout yeah. and if you can do that with arceus i mean and i'm sure you experienced this uh playing arceus bbrl decks in the past as well if you can just take that first quick ko you're gonna get so far ahead in the game on turn two right away yeah and then like especially with your you know something like if you're up against a palkia deck and then you just let up a flying pikachu the game is basically over as long as, as long as they can't carry the flying Pikachu next turn. Because if they just come up and punch an Arceus, the flying Pikachu comes up, takes the it takes out that Palkia, and the game just kind of snowballs from there. Um, so yeah, it's a very cool, a very powerful option. We've seen it in the past with Zigzagoon, but yeah, with bench space involved, it's a little bit awkward. And um, yeah, so like you have like those five outs to draw. Like if you draw into the double turbo or the powerful, uh, in the first two turns of the game, to be honest, you could attach, you know, uh, the the powerful energy first, but then if you just find, then you could find the double turbo, the choice belt boss, right? So you have like time to you have like a lot of outs to actually set up the the combo in those first two turns i'm not sure i love it i never was a huge fan of zigzagoon choice belt uh in general oh i always uh, loved but it <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely a lot cooler um with the powerful energy and the powerful and the, the choice belt beside the powerful energy like isn't too big of a hindrance to you it's really like is the choice belt worth it i feel like is the bigger thing but sure. it is pretty good on arceus past that combo right because even if you put it on your next arceus that has three basic energy then that one can ko a v uh and so on like that and even if you go the choice belt still uh, has gained a little bit of value because up against zorark uh zorark only has 210 hp so just dte plus choice belt knocks out zorks and that's a matchup where you really need to be aggressive if you're the Arceus yeah. player because that's like a bad matchup. <laughs> so and you really need to kind of stick it forget, to them. Can't forget the Choice Belt, Drapion, Energy, boom, knock out the Palkia for one. Hey, listen. That's, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> the dynamic tail after the keep calling. Got to be yes. careful for 
and I'm sure there's other like there's always little scenarios where it'll be like good for a max balloon. Um, I mean, as even... a, on the Espeon as an attacker as well, yep. like adding some extra damage there. I mean, Espeon is a pretty solid attacker, um, yeah. which we saw. Uh, James tried to lean on a little bit in the finals match, but Hale obviously knew what Despion did and was playing around it, putting not enough energy in play to where it was ever going to be a threat. And that was really unfortunate that we didn't get a great showing from this deck on the stream just because this is an anti-meta deck, right? It's going to do really, uh, at least have a better shot against something like the Palkia. It's going to do fine against the yep. Giratina. It's going to do great against Reggie with the Flying Pikachu, obviously, as well. Um but James not really having a great answer for the Hisuian Gudra. Yeah, that feels, yeah, I don't, you don't, <laughs> you just don't beat it, I don't think. I don't think there's any way to beat Gudra. You're like three hit KOing them, and if you just don't have to use Starbirth or find a Hyper Potion, the game just gets so far out of control. Uh, the other card that was super cool in this list, and I think actually should just become the norm for these Arceus decks, uh, is Volo. Super strong in this deck, because it allows you to be more aggressive with setting up different attackers, um, but even once you put that VMAX in play and attack with it for turn, whether it be the Espen and a Flying Pikachu, and I actually think, to be honest, after I saw the Volo, I was like, there should probably be two Volo in here. I think Volo is super sick in this deck. There's the Collapse Stadium, so yeah, I guess that yeah. it does kind of a double as a Volo, and once that gets you far enough ahead, it's fine for you to like bump your own path in certain matchups for sure as well. So, um, But I could see like two Volo and a Collapse Stadium, to be honest. like That's like a super strong combo. Just set up a bunch of attackers with Arceus and start to kind of switch between them, Volo them out of play, Collapse Stadium them out of play. And you shouldn't really run out of attackers, I don't feel like. Because you could even get to the point where Drapion could attack as well. But yeah, um, just kind of cycle through your attackers and, and heal them out of play with the Collapse and the Volo. So um, everything's a great attacker now with Volo. Because with Charon's Care, you wouldn't really want to set up like your VMAXs, like the Pikachu VMAXs in a lot of matchups because it would be giving up three prizes on a two-hit KO usually. So you're like, eh, I don't really want to set this thing up just for it to get two hit. But now with Volo, you can send up Pikachu for a turn, let it hit, let it take a hit, retreat it, attack with Arceus in the turn, you Volo it away or collapse it away. And then, yeah, there's not that uh, not that liability on the board anymore. So I think that was actually a super, super, uh, super cool addition. So looking at the rest of the top eight, obviously we had the four Reggies, yourself, Grant, and Caleb all being on the same 60. And then Drew Kennett also playing Reggie. A couple different cards in here. He was playing things like Bruno. He had the boss's orders as well. Um, but this was cool to see as well because Drew has had a pretty stellar uh, last couple of uh, tournaments. Yeah. Of course, he did get top eight in Baltimore just about a month ago. And then he did win Salt Lake City Regionals in the last season. So... Had a chance to defend his title. He did take a game off of Hale in top eight, but ultimately Gudra was just a little too sticky for uh, for Drew to <laughs> overcome. Yeah, that's a pretty it's a pretty tough one. Even with the bad uh, Drago, it's still a really really tough matchup, no and matter what. The other two decks in top eight: Nick Moffat getting top four. Uh, which, funny enough, Nick also got top four at the last Salt Lake City. So it's a pretty good place for Nick Moffat, I guess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> a couple of top four finishes. He was playing the Giratina Comfy and then Caleb Rogerson getting eighth place with the Palky Antelian. And, you know, Caleb also having a good time in Salt Lake City. Uh, this is his first top eight as a master. He's a master's first year master's division player. Uh, but he did win the Salt Lake City Regional Championships last season though that was in the seniors division. So lots of really cool stories, honestly, out of this top eight. Um, and the bracket was honestly a, a pretty good-looking one as well. I mean, Grant versus Azul is a great matchup, obviously, two of the best players in the modern era of the game. Caleb Roger, or sorry, uh, Caleb Gettimer, multiple-time regional champion. You know, the James Steele story is really cool. You know, winning a league challenge into 
making second place. And then Hale Obernerty versus Andrew Kennett and Caleb Rutherford versus Nick Moffitt. So I did really quickly before we move on, want to touch on um, why we chose to stream the match we streamed. Cause I did see a couple of comments about that. I think a lot of people would just look at the names of this top cut and immediately say, yeah. why would we not stream Grant versus Azul? And I think that is a totally fair thing to say. And obviously when we're looking at player names, I think that is the match that would have made the most sense to see up on the screen. Um, but the reason that we didn't go with this match for top eight is because it was the Reggie mirror. And um, even, <laughs> even though there's things you can do, so much of it just comes down to who gets the first attack, right? And Especially if you, now with gift energy. If, like, if, it's just like a huge snowball. So, I mean, you as being one of these two players, right? I mean, what is your kind of thoughts on that? Like even though that match from what you described earlier sounds like it ended up being pretty interesting you did win 2-0 but um just the yeah, reggie I mean the, the reggie mirror as a, a feature game like is there much interesting going on that that generally people would be able to watch and, and grasp uh, i mean the game one was kind of interesting but like there's not there's not yeah i predicted you guys to pick caleb versus moffat that made the most sense because there's two of the unique decks in cut so you know this is the only chance you'll get to stream one of them for sure um, and then you could have predicted the flying Pikachu to beat Caleb, which means you have a chance of stream flying Pikachu later on, potentially. Um, and you knew there was a Reggie coming out of the other side. So Reggie was going to be on stream at some point anyway. So it is the logical, uh, logical to me. And it wouldn't have been very exciting. We would have just been sitting there attacking and then the other person attacks and whoever attacks first generally wins. Although in game one, uh, game one would have been exciting because I prized double rock, uh, and had to find my heavy ball. And Grant got, you know, the first attack off, but then whiffed on the following turn. But then from there, it was just back and forth. Now I was ahead by one prize card. So, sure. yeah, definitely, a, I think, a good call in the end. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, I mean, yeah, Hale versus Drew. Hale is just so heavily favored. Drew did find a way to get a game, but Hale is just going to win. When it comes to a best of three, like, even though Drew can steal a game, it's just going to be so hard for Hale to ever lose a best of three. Once again, and Caleb going up against James with the flying Pikachu, y'all's list not having the boss's orders. We felt like there was just very little chance for Caleb in that one, and he did end up losing 0-2. Uh, James moving on, of course. And then Caleb versus Nick ended up being a pretty decent game. Though what ended up happening, though, is because what we typically do is we pick from one side of the bracket and then for top eight, and then we go to the other side of the bracket for top four. So it kind of meant inevitably we were going to have to stream Reggie versus Gudra so I guess maybe hindsight looking at that we could have gone Grant versus Azul and then gone to the other side of the bracket but we had seen Reggie so much on the stream we had not seen very much of the Giratina decks we did want to feature it um, and then of course there's the story with Nick getting top four at the last Salt Lake City Caleb yep. winning the last Salt Lake City you obviously are going for your sixth regionals win. Grant is probably one of the best players who hasn't won a regionals. So yeah. <laughs> there's there's plenty of stories there as well. I mean, th th you can make a story for like all of the top eight matches, honestly. But um, that's why we ended up choosing what we chose. So I, I think regardless of which way we went, there would be people hoping that we had picked differently. It's just kind of the, the curse of having to pick a stream game, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, you, there was no winning in that one. I don't think. I think I think it was correct the way the way you went about it. Um, it would have been more exciting if Drew had, you know, been able to beat Hale, and then it would have been me against Drew in top four. That would have been like probably the best, the most exciting. Uh, what's it called? Conclusion, maybe potentially. But um, yeah, I mean, it was gonna be hard to do that. And then you guys got to watch <laughs> me, which to be honest, I wouldn't have held it against you guys either if you just didn't stream 
me and Hale, and then instead just put on uh, Nick again against uh, James. That probably would have been a way more exciting match to stream. <laughs> it would have been fun. I was surprised. And maybe we I was told have. I was going on the stream. Yeah, it was it was pretty bad. I mean, we, there's no rule that says we have to go to the other yeah. side of the bracket. It's just kind of what we normally do. So we don't it makes theoretically sense. like the risk in streaming the same side of the bracket would be that we might stream the same person three games in a row which we don't necessarily want to do. It wouldn't be the worst thing, I guess, but there's always so many decisions and, you know, we're always trying to improve with the streams. There's definitely been a lot of uh, discourse on Twitter about the stream the last few days, which is fair. You know, I, I, I love for people to provide their feedback and we I do see it obviously. So it's all good, all good and fine, but we'll move on from Salt Lake results. We'll talk a little bit about some of these judging issues that kind of came up at the tournament let's try to go pretty quickly through this though um and this was brought up by caleb rogerson on twitter who of course was one of the top eight competitors posting that in round 15 of the salt lake city regionals i had the head judge rule that aurora energy can be kept on reggie alecki after a terra spark as long as it has two speed lightning energies attached to it to fulfill the cost According to this ruling with the Galarian Darmanitan, this should not be the case. So, of course, Reggie Alecki's Terra Spark, it says discard all lightning energy from this Pokemon. So if you have two-speed lightning and an Aurora energy, the ruling that came from the judge was that you could choose to keep the Aurora energy. But if you read the print of Aurora energy, and this does get confusing, and I even saw people in the replies of this tweet not understanding how this works. And I think it yeah. is understandable that they don't understand it. It is a little confusing because Aurora Energy says as long as this card is attached to a Pokemon, it provides every type of energy, but only provides one energy at a time. So reading that, you might think, okay, so it can provide one lightning energy or it can provide one fire energy or one darkness energy or one whatever energy but that's not the case it provides just one energy but it is one energy that is at the same time all of the types you don't get to like pick what energy type it is so yeah in combination with the terra spark of reggie Alecki, you would have to discard the aurora energy and it's a little you know i, I think a lot of people were a little annoyed to see that this is a ruling that's coming in round 15 of a regionals um and in caleb's replies as well it does sound a little shaky as far as what happened with the head judge as far as um the head judge never came over to the table right it was a floor judge they went and conferred with someone else and then came back and i think caleb yeah. just assumed it was the head judge or maybe was told it was the head judge don't know exactly what ended up happening here but I think the main thing that we wanted to talk about out of this is that if you are confident in how something is supposed to work and that maybe you have gotten an incorrect ruling from a judge or you just want confirmation, you as a player always have a right to speak to the head judge. Yeah, you can always call over the head judge. We've talked about this I don't know, last week, two weeks ago, whenever. Just, just call <laughs> over the head judge. If you think your opponent is wrong, if you think the ruling's wrong, call over the head judge, get it squared away. Sometimes you will be wrong, but... Um, Usually, I feel like in these scenarios, if you're that confident that you think, and like, usually the players know, <laughs> it's for the most part, right? Usually the players just kind of know the correct ruling. Uh, I guess that's not always true because the other player thinks it rule gets ruled the other way. But um, yeah, call for head judge if you think you're right. I guess is the the moral of the story. Call for head if you head judge if you think you're right. 
Um, I think we always kind of say this. I definitely say this. I think Chip usually agrees with me. So Chip, if you disagree, feel free. But um, remember, judges in Pokemon, they're not... Once again, like I say this all the time, there's like not like a ridiculous amount of judges who are vying for these spots, I feel like, to judge these tournaments. They are volunteers. They are not being, you know, paid like an hour, like an even minimum wage to be there at these events doing the jobs that someone has to do, right? For these events to run, we need the staff to be there. Um, if they were being paid, you know, uh, you know, minimum wage, whatever, whatever it might be to run these, to, to, to judge these events. And I think it'd be fair for us to be a lot more upset when rulings like this get, um, you know, out of place. And I could be wrong on the, how many people are trying to judge the events. And if that is the case, I actually saw Will Post make a, make a tweet uh, this morning or the other day, which was basically like, um, if you're going to judge events, you should be going out of your way to familiarize yourself with the game um, so that you can be, you know, perform the judge of the job of being a judge better. Right. But yeah. if we only had judges who like play the game a lot, be judges at events, how many would we have enough judges for the events? So that'd be my question. I don't know how many people apply for these events uh, for these events to be judges. My my assumption would be not enough to the point where we would have where we could get rid of everyone and only get people who are like you know people who play the game consistently um and want to want the spot so i don't know but uh we need someone there and i do agree with you and understand and like am sympathetic to the fact that judges are not you know paid nearly as much as they probably should be but the issue is uh i mean and most of the time judges are being paid via like product right they get booster boxes or whatever it is and staff cards staff play mats and stuff like that that's like usually what the compensation looks like for these tournaments it does vary by tournament organizer that we do have to say um but i think that the the kind of issue here is that these like even though these judges aren't being paid the rulings that they are making directly is influencing so much championship points, prize money, stipends, travel awards, worlds, invites. Like these rulings have ripple effect impacts that are much bigger than, you know, what they're being paid for, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I think it, it still comes back around to the point where if we remove the judges, if no one wants to judge all of a sudden because it is a volunteer position, then the events don't happen and then there's no stipends or championship points to play for at all. Right. So I think if, if, if compensation is level to the point where we, where I feel like, I feel like we, you want to hold the judges. I, I think it's fair to hold the judges to the higher standard. If enough judges exist that hold themselves to a higher standard to try and be better judges that would replace the judges who don't, but because we don't know if there's that many judges who would replace the judges who are doing a worse job and replace them with judges who would do a better job. We kind of just have to be like, until they're compensated to the point where we can hold them to a higher standard, it's hard to actually hold them to a higher standard, right? Because we just don't know. I just don't know how many applications these TOs get for the judging position. If they get a lot, then I think that maybe we should, the, the thing to look at would be we can put it on the TOs to be like, you have to, you should be doing a better job of filtering out who is judging your events, right? If they're getting, you know, 200, 300% of the applications they would need to fill the spots, right? Like if they need 100 judges and they get 300 applications, Maybe maybe we need to put on the tos to do a better a better process of filtering out who gets to come to judge the events and who doesn't right and then give the priority to the people who are putting the extra effort. But if there's 112 people applying for 100 spots, you kind of got to take what you get right. And then until they're being compensated reasonably, it's hard to really 
it, it's hard for me to see why we should have why why it's fair for us to hold them to a higher standard, right? Because at the end of the day, they're volunteering for a job that has to be done for us to be able to participate in these events. We just don't know all the information yet, so I'm not. I don't really want to pick one side of the uh, the fight on this one too heavily. Yeah. Um, so we'll move on from that a little bit more uh, about something sort of similar, more about penalties as opposed to. Uh, judging, so this is an issue that came up on the stream, and I saw this on Twitter today. This is a tweet from Evan Smith talking about um, the rules that need to be changed. So basically what this tweet longer is referencing is a stream match where a player named Ryan Harris used Comfy Flower Selecting after a deck search. So the player had searched the deck through a quick ball, something like that. After a deck search, they use flower selecting. They're supposed to see the top two cards, and they accidentally saw the third card of the deck. And because a third card was revealed, an extra card was seen, a uh, two-prize penalty was awarded. Now, this is a very minor mistake, and obviously, I would say, a mistake as well, um, because realistically, there's no advantage that is going to be gained uh, from seeing that other card whenever... You have to make a decision based off of the two regardless, and you already know what you have access to in your deck because your deck has just been searched, right? Um, yeah. And so a two-prize penalty was given to Ryan, and that instantly changed the outcome of the game. So pretty much what this is saying is that the ruling in this spot is just too harsh for what the penalty was. And this is actually kind of similar to what happened to you in your top four match. You got a, a two-prize penalty because your opponent played Roxanne, you drew two cards, accidentally saw the third card as well, or started to draw extra cards. Yeah. I, was, um, I thought I got Marty. I was, I was going to yeah. draw four. <laughs> I was literally going to draw four. It's a good thing they stopped me at three because the fourth yeah. is... <laughs> um, so Azul accidentally drew extra cards. I mean, these are just things that happen, right? It's I mean, playing with yep. real cards. We're not playing on PTCGO. It doesn't do it for you. You have to draw the cards physically yourself. Um you saw the extra card. You got given a two-prize penalty, which led to your opponent instantly winning the game because they only had two prize cards left uh, yeah. when it wasn't going to impact anything at all because it wasn't even your turn. You saw the two cards, and before anything else happened, your opponent was going to attack into your Reggie Drago that had a gift energy on it, so you were going to draw that card anyway before you even had to promote anything. So it was literally going to have no impact on the game whatsoever, but a two-prize yeah. penalty was still given. Yeah, and I would see the card before I even had to choose what I would send up as exactly. well. Like it would have, I would gain zero advantage. And to be honest, I could have probably, I like at that point, I didn't care because there was no way for me, me to win. <laughs> uh, or there was one way for me to win, but I checked my deck after the two prize penalty, and I would have whiffed the play anyway. So there was no chance for me to actually win the game because um, it was. I, I needed to draw like Reggie Rock off the Gift Energy with Yellhorn and Twin Energy, and I the Rock was like the ninth or tenth card, so I would have whiffed um, the play anyways. But I like I mean I bring it up all the time when we talk about penalties and stuff, right? I'm always like, I don't think seeing an extra card should be a prize penalty, especially in situations like that. Like my situation where like we can look at the board state, and then I uh, uh, hopefully if my opponent is like being honest about their situation, they'd be like, yeah, they're not gaining any advantage here. If they agree with me on that, which you know, what is the actual situation? There's zero advantage for me to gain. If I say that my opponent agrees, the judge can see why that's true. I should get a warning, and if I do it again, even in a similar scenario, then I should get a two-prize penalty, right? Um, but on that first one, I feel like, yeah, in those kind of situations, I don't think I should get a two-prize penalty. I didn't argue it because I just was like, I don't think it cares. I'm going to lose any. I don't think I don't really care. I'm going to lose anyways. Uh, let's go ahead to the next game. So I didn't I didn't call over the head judge. I didn't request the head judge. I didn't argue with. Um, I believe it was uh, 
uh, who was my, who was the, I don't remember who the judge was off the table. I didn't argue with them at all. I was like, yeah, whatever. I don't really care. Um, but, uh, but I do think it is too harsh of a penalty in general. And I think there should be at least a buildup to it where like, if you like the first time you buy XCC an extra card, I think it's fine. Like it would be fine. Like I never call over. I had multiple players throughout the run. My, my tournament run here at Salt Lake city who saw an extra card, whether it be uh drawing, drawing an extra card for turn. They played a Marty research to extra card. And I was just told them just put it back on top of that. Cause I don't care. I feel like it's like a ridiculous advantage to be gained from just like a very common human error. And the other thing I like to tie to that is in Pokemon regional tournaments. It's not like we're just, this is just the MLB of the Pokemon TCG tournaments. It's T-ball to MLB. This is some players who it's their first tournament. Some player picked up, picked up their deck to play in their first tournament going into regionals because they've only played on PDTGO up to this point. They don't know how to shuffle. The amount of people I've played against since the games come back who are just really bad at shuffling is so high. It's insane. <laughs> like, it, you, people should not be getting prize penalties for actually drawing an extra card. Maybe if they do it two, three times throughout a tournament. You know, you call over a judge, they give them the warning, they write them up. Okay, saw an extra card once, saw an extra card twice. Okay, saw an extra card third time. That's a double, pen, pen, double prize penalty. Fourth time, quad prize penalty. Fifth time. Uh, game loss, six-time match loss, whatever. You know, however you want to scale it. But I don't think the first time you actually see an extra card, it should lead to the double prize penalty. So I remember back in like 2016, 2017, this being a huge issue because there was a huge streak of players accidentally drawing extra cards on stream and it would get caught like turns later. They would have to rewind it and it became a huge mess and the result was a warning. Right. That was like what yeah. the result of it was. And so I think that it almost feels like they escalated it sometime in the 2017, 2018 timeframe when the rules kind of got a little bit of an update or the penalty guidelines got a little bit of an update. Um, they 2015, 2016, I think. No, no, it was, was it? definitely uh, in like the 2018 timeframe. It's oh, like, no, you are right. You are yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah, so is when it got changed from recommended penalty warning to recommended penalty uh, two prize penalty. Um, And, I mean, that's a huge jump, and it is easily one of the most common. Like, I mean, I bet if they had uh, the stat (laughs) of penalties given at regional championships, like, it's probably 90% extra card scene two prize penalty. Like, it has to be. It it just happens so, so, so often. Um, and it, yeah, it definitely feels, I mean, it's something that players, I mean, sometimes it happens inadvertently because players are playing too quickly. They need to just kind of like slow down, but at the same time, players are trying to play quickly to finish their games within the best of three fifty minute parameters that we have. So, yeah, uh, a little bit of a mess. Like I, I would like to see this deescalated or at least, uh, allow it to the point where judges can use their discretion to escalate or deescalate as they see fit. Yeah. Like, there's a difference between someone, I don't know, using concealed cards for a second time on accident and seeing two more cards. There's a difference between that uh, and then like two cards hitting their hand and someone who is not even their turn accidentally seeing an extra card because they thought they got Roxanne or Marnie versus being Roxanne, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think, yeah, you could be situational with it. Um, and then also just kind of, um, and it w- I think it should be able to be escalate. Like, I think the baseline should be a warning and then kind of scale it with how many times the judges called over for it is to, yeah, for a specific player, uh, then it should escalate to eventually being, you know, prize penalties, game losses, whatever. Right. If it's their seventh time on the day, there should probably be more than a warning. Right. Um, but I also think they should be able to, and they should be able to escalate it. Like, even if it's their first time, if it's like, well, 
because of the board state, you seeing that extra card gives you so much information on what to do on your next turn. We have to escalate this to a double prize penalty, right? I think that would be fair. But if it's kind of more of a neutral position, you play a research, you actually see an eighth card, uh, you both can identify the card, or you just see it and don't even put it in your hand. Like, obviously, me and Chip are talking about, like, if you play Marnie and draw seven cards and then shuffle your hand, that's a double prize penalty probably, right? Or even maybe worse, right? It might be but worse because the about... deck is ordered off of Marnie. Yeah, so we're talking about specifically, you know, you get Marnied, your opponent Marnies you, you draw four, and you, like, see the fifth. Or the fifth goes to your hand, but you immediately, both you and your opponent immediately identify it, know what it is, so it can easily be put back on top of the deck, right? Those are the situations we're talking about, where it's like, one card, we know where it is, we know where it should be, right? And those ones feel like it's definitely a little bit, it feels just too harsh to be a double prize penalty. So I, that's definitely something I think both of us would like to see kind of maybe looked at, changed. These type of changes take forever, it feels like, though. So if this discussion is being started now, we might see it updated in the rules in like two years or something like that. But yeah, who knows? We'll see. Um, well. we'll move on from that, though, to everyone's favorite segment. Guess that flavor text where each week Azul or myself picks a card and reads the little bit of text in the bottom corner to the other person and they have to guess what pokemon we are talking about you do get access to three lifelines if you don't use any lifelines you get four points for each lifeline you use you lose a point and as always those three lifelines are what set the card is from what stage the card is and read an attack name it is my turn to pick a card to read to azul and of course we would love for everyone to be playing along at home azul how you feeling? Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm not too confident. I think like, I don't know if you're ever confident going into these anymore, but yeah, I have no confidence, but that means there's nothing to lose. Uh, and I'm feeling comfortable with taking another L and getting zero points. Whatever, whatever confidence I had died in like episode 17 <laughs> or something like that. Like, but I feel like once one of us gets like a two pointer or something, that's going to re, you know, oh yeah, reinvigorate, yeah, right? Yeah. Reinvigorate the other person to actually try a little bit harder, but we need one of us to get one to get, to get things back rolling again. All right. So hit me with it. We'll, we'll see if maybe this is your, your chance to get, reinvigorated this week all right here's the card this pokemon keeps its heat sensitive head cool with ice it fishes for food dangling its single hair into the sea to lure in its prey okay go again this pokemon keeps its heat sensitive head cool with ice it fishes for food dangling its single hair into the sea to lure in prey okay so immediately I'm thinking of Ice Q, um, but I know. Wait, isn't this just Ice Q? So it, its head is a block of ice, but I know that's no, not its heat sensitive head cooled with ice. Nothing about a block of ice. Yeah, but there's a block of ice on its head to keep its heat sensitive. I'm you are sure adding is... the block of ice part. <laughs> no, no, no. But like that's still ice. It still fishes ice for its food, head. dangling its single hair into oh, the hair. sea. The hair. And I feel like Ice Cube doesn't Ice Cube have a hair sticking out of the Ice Cube at the top? I feel like this is Ice Cube. I also like in my head. I'm like, there's like a Pokemon. Like you know, it has like whenever you like, like I can see a Pokemon with a single hair, but I don't remember the name of it. But it might just be Ice Cube that I'm thinking of. So I think it's Ice Cube immediately because like all those things sound like a penguin. Uh, his head is a block of ice, but I know that's not his head. I know the block of ice isn't actually his head. I don't know why I know that. Um. So, I mean, there's a block of ice on his head. That's ice keeping his head cool. I, 
I in my head, like the when I think about ice cube, there's something coming out of the top of the ice cube. Um, and then penguins eat fish. So I'm on ice cube as of right now, but there's no reason for me not to use even if I used all three of the lifelines, I'll still be ahead of chip. So we're gonna start with what stage the card is. It is a basic. Now I, I really want to all right, we're gonna go with give me an attack name. Icy Snow. I don't remember Ice Q's first attack. But there's also like three ice cues in the format. I don't remember. It's, it, I mean, one of the attacks is block face on the one that I care about or cared about for this tournament. But I don't remember the number, the other name of the attack. So we're going to go with just to use them all, because even one point is a huge advantage. What set is the card from? Even though this one basically does nothing for me. Go ahead. It's from Evolving Skies. I feel like this has to be ice. Cube. <laughs> I'm guessing ice cube. We're locking it in. It is Ice Cube as well. Why did I just guess Ice Cube? Why did I not just guess Ice Cube? I had it. This was maybe the best chance for you to ever get four points. (laughs) You psyched yourself. I gotta look. It is Ice Cube, and it is the Evolving Skies Ice Cube with the block face attack and the icy snow attack. Yeah, there is a little hair sticking out of the top of the cube. He's got a tiny little hair sticking out of his head. Now, I'm not going to lie. The card I was going to pick at first was the Ice Cube from Fusion Strike, uh, which flavor text says, it's the hair on its head connects to the surface of its brain. When this Pokemon has something on its mind, the hair chills the air around it, which I think would have been much harder for you to get. Yeah. But I thought it would be really funny if I switched and did the ice cube <laughs> that you were just talking about at the start of the episode. And so I just clicked on it quick and read the card. And I was like, okay, yeah, we can do that. But I only really read the second part. I didn't really thoroughly read the first part of the flavor text that says this Pokemon keeps its heat-sensitive head cool with ice. So, admittedly, maybe a little bit of a punt on my part, but yeah, you did. Almost a huge punt. I almost did it, too, because like I, I know that's not his head. I don't know why I know that, but I know Ice's head isn't literally an ice block. And then I was like, I think there's like something sticking out of the top of the ice cube. Uh, and yeah, it's the, the one hair that apparently it uses to fish. <laughs> yeah, and it's connected to the surface of its brain as well. Of course. So I'm sure there's several people out there listening who got four points this week. So yeah. if you're one of them, let us know in the comments of the YouTube video. Azul gets one measly point this week, but does move ahead Four to three on the scoreboard. So, yeah, I just used all the lifelines. So I didn't get too far ahead. Right, right. Keep it reasonable. <laughs> yeah, you're going easy on me. All right. So we had. Uh, I am up now. I am up by a point. You'll have your chance to redeem yourself next week, Chip, and maybe tie it up again. Um, For the next we did have Salt Lake episodes. Yeah, <laughs> we had Salt Lake City regionals this past weekend, but finally, somewhere else in the world besides. <laughs> Uh, America is getting a regional um because only there's only been what one Latin American regional and now this is the f- no there was a European regional yeah there was a European special event okay so I was wrong um but uh the format does progress I mean for us the format was pretty short we had our two uh North American regionals um and those are gone and 
done uh, but now it's europe's chance they're gonna have two regionals in this format and we'll see how the format kind of progresses so we're going to talk about that next um and i think oh man there was something i was going to say and now it literally just i i just forgot it so go ahead chip we got the new <laughs> what do you expect what do you think is going to be the number one deck um i think yeah. it'll be palkia but what do you think so i mean yeah, we're, we're going to just be talking here about how the meta is moving forward in general obviously the only place that has regional championships left in this format is europe but there's gonna yep. be tons of box tournaments tons of 5ks and stuff happening all across the world so and of course local leagues and all that stuff so there's still plenty of information to be gleaned from these uh this discussion even with uh, not having any competitive events really to talk about. Um, this is going to be the Lille Regionals, and Stefan Ivanov actually won the last Lille Regionals from France, so I'm sure he'll be looking to defend his homeland once again, making another deep run, and uh, Stefan's one of those players that when he's playing in a tournament, he is someone that you would never be surprised to see <laughs> winning the event. So, Yeah, definitely always a threat. And I actually think there are a couple... Um, well, it might not be for Lille. There's a couple North American players going to Warsaw, I that's think. That's right, yes. I don't know if any of the, I guess Lille's probably a little bit close to Salt Lake City. So that's, like, going to be quite uh, <laughs> quite a transition for anyone who went to Salt Lake City. And probably if you had to choose between the two, you'd probably go to Salt Lake City if you live in, Amer in North America over Lille. But I think Warsaw, there might be a couple North American players right over there. But, um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, the meta. Meta. Uh, <laughs> so we know what, what happened in Salt Lake City. Um but where does it go from there? Like I said, I predict, like I said, I think K Tina and Kiram, there's too much. There's too much for how good the decks are. I think Palkia will become our new our new front runner um, going yeah. into the rest of the format. But do you do you disagree? I wouldn't be surprised to see that. I do still think Tina and Kiram will be reasonably represented at the event, probably still in the top three to five most played. Maybe Kiram will fall a little bit farther than Tina. Um, though this is going to be many of the European players' first chance to get their hands on the new set as That's far as, <laughs> as in, in a new competitive format. So I think a lot of them will lean on the Tina, most likely. I think we'll see a lot of them try. Maybe not Tina, but like Lost Box, like Lost Zone type decks. We'll see maybe Mirage Gate Zone. We'll see the, the Sableye Charizard deck. We'll see some Giratina stuff as well. Uh, because people want to try the new thing. They want to at least give it a yeah. shot. And it is powerful. It is good. Uh, Palkia, you know, been there, done that. It's good. But, you know, we got to try the new stuff out as well. So I, I would actually agree. I do think that likely Palkia will be the most played deck. Um, because for people who their main goal is to just get championship points, try to get that world's invite, it's really hard to pick something besides Palkia just because it's that it is, good, yeah. that powerful. And it is i mean if you choose to play it you have a pretty decent shot at least coming away with points on the weekend yeah I and mean, that's what i that's what i've been saying uh for a while now i feel like tina in general is just bad palkia like i feel like it just is a worse palkia. i don't think it's like, fair I feel to like compare Pal the two though they're so different in how they play like no but they both that's their matchup spread wise like they they basically have the they're they're both can kind of beat anything i think tina is a little bit better against the fringe decks um, like you're gonna come away with more dubs against stuff like Blissey or Arcturaladon or maybe Gudra, I guess depending. But I don't think Gudra's that bad of a matchup for Palkia. I think it's pretty close, especially like if you look at Hale's list with no ordinary rots, you can't even play around Echoing Horn. Um, that's a pretty big deal against Palkia. Um, yeah, Caleb so yeah, lost to Hale on stream. Um, yeah, but it was like I think um, Caleb's list was like a, pretty greedy on like the basic Pokemon count, and like the Averys yeah. from Hale definitely hurt a lot. So. That was a, a factor. 
yeah so i could i would say yeah i, that, I mean that's how i feel but i feel like tina is just like it just every time whenever i look at the 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 you know the the matchup percentages against the dance the field i feel like tina just is just like i think you're slightly unfavored against palkia and i think palkia overall has a better matchup spread against the field they both can like i said both very versatile decks can kind of beat anything um but yeah like you said this is what i was actually the point i was going to make before i forgot to say it which is that yeah ton of great players in europe we have not gotten to see anything from them at all so definitely curious to see what they uh they bring out i could also see gustavo potentially gustavo sometimes shows up at european events and having not had an event for a while i wouldn't be surprised to see someone like gustavo make their way over to uh uh Lille or warsaw as well like in school now though like he he's like deep in like i think he's like in med school or something like that yeah, he's so in I med think, school so it's it's like a it's kind of a hard ask in the middle of med school to take a five-day trip over to, to europe i feel like but yeah possibly. i mean we still saw him show up to a lot of the uh, pretty much everything else the naic was World, he at med like... school last year already i thought he started yeah, this yeah. year oh okay, okay i saw some tweets of him of him tweeting out about some stuff when he was he was in school um yeah, yeah. So I couldn't be. I wouldn't be surprised to see someone like Gustavo show up at these kind of events as well. Um, but yeah, yeah. The European players they just haven't had a chance in this meta yet. So a lot of great players and potentially a lot of cool ideas, kind of un uh, undiscovered. I mean, right? Europe has cool so many innovators as far as deck building goes. I mean, who knows what yeah. the heck um, Sanders is going to show up with, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> well, Sanders actually not going because Sanders oh, no? tweeted out his list. Yeah, he tweeted out his list before. Uh, Salt Lake City scene uh, saying, uh, I'm not going to be able to make it to Lille. Oh, Here's okay. what I would have played. Um, and I actually <laughs> I talked to someone who said they almost just like played. Oh, it was actually Cyrus was like, I almost just sleeped up Sanders 60. Um, and I was like, a good thing you didn't do that. Because like, <laughs> you definitely did put in time with decks like that beforehand for sure. Because um, <laughs> yeah, it, it almost felt like Sanders was just like baiting people to play. <laughs> <laughs> to play his I mean, surely someone did, right? Someone has to have just possible. seen this and sleeved it up, right? I mean, I know Caleb looked at it and was like, yo, we, what if we just took Sanders? Like, I was like, no, we're not just going to take Sanders' crazy 60 cards and run it. <laughs> Although I would love to play Mewtwo v. Union again. Definitely would not be confident. I don't know how good uh, or even how confident Sander is in that build, but um, I, looking at it, I would not have been confident picking up that like the night before the tournament at all. Definitely would have had to put some time with it and then uh, evaluate whether or not I would want to actually uh, actually run it or not. But um, so I'm, but yeah, yeah, a lot of innovators over there for sure. I'm expecting like the meta decks obviously to do very well. The stuff we've seen, like I think we will see Palkia be pretty heavily played. I wouldn't be surprised to see Mew with a pretty decent uptick compared to the American regionals, honestly. Um, but I would also expect some of the top level players like the Stefan, like we mentioned, um, maybe the Schultz brothers, maybe Pedro as well, Fabian, uh, Medi, all of them, like these players love to innovate, love to deck build. And I mean, are not afraid as well to play something that looks a little weird and looks a little janky. So, uh, and when you have that many high skill players playing or innovating, trying something out, uh, I'm not going to be surprised if we see something wacky in top eight from one of them. Yeah, I think there'll definitely be. I think. There, I mean, I think there's a lot of room in the format for there to be some wacky stuff. Like I said, especially when you know what like the top three decks are probably looking like. It's probably going to be Kiram, Tina, and Palkia. Like, even though I don't have as much respect for Kiram and Tina, a lot of players do, and I think a lot of players, like a lot of top players, did gravitate towards and have been more gravitating towards uh giratina and i think henry brand even said that that's what he would have played if he was playing in a tournament this weekend or next weekend i think he would have said he was going to play he would have played giratina himself as well so 
uh, a lot of top players like it because it is like a very versatile deck right that's why a lot of top players like palkia right don't really have many bad matchups you can solve any of its big weaknesses against some of the matchups with some with like a tech card or two and giratina can kind of do the same thing like i said i think it is worse overall than palkia um but it, it that's why a lot of people like tina but there is still i think there's still some room out there for some uh, some crazy stuff to eventually happen i hope it does uh and i hope there is something out there because if we just see more of the same not going to be as exciting i don't think it's going to be um as crazy as for reggie and cut maybe but hopefully there is some uh some cool stuff to come out of uh Lille. and speaking of which speaking of the reggies how heavily do you think that reggies should be played slash respected so if someone sees the success watched the stream this past weekend in salt lake they're like yeah reggie seems solid how many people are going to see that and choose to play the deck and how many are going to choose to play things that counter reggie uh, well, I mean, I think if you don't know what to play, I would just play Reggie. Like, if you don't know what to play or don't have, like, a favorite deck, then I would just play Reggie for sure. If you don't have anything, like, super cool or new or innovative, same thing. Like, I would just I would just play Reggie's. Um, and then the, the real call is just, like, should you play the Yellhorn or not? And that kind of comes down to, you think people will play Ice Cube? Because if everyone's playing Yellhorn, not really a ton of reason to play the Ice Cube. If everyone's playing Yellhorn in the Reggie deck, why play Ice Cube? But then if they cut the Ice Cube because of that, then you can cut the Yellhorn um so that's kind of the, the only real thing to question but i think the deck is still ridiculously strong i don't see a reason to like not play it unless like everyone goes kind of the jake gearhart route and puts double lost city and palkia <laughs> probably wouldn't play reggie then uh <laughs> but i don't think that's gonna probably be the route many people take to kind of answer reggie so ice key would still probably be the number one number one threat do you um, maybe uh do you maybe put boss back in to help flying pikachu um maybe that's like another weird one another thing would be like gudra do you play a mill tank for the gudra matchup sure. how many other decks will tech one of mill tank for the gudra matchup does a basic psychic in gudra counter mill tank a couple questions there because those are also that's another deck the gudra deck is another deck that just loses to you know a one of mill tank so are are some i assume some decks out there could i mean a lot of decks out there can easily adjust and just add a mill tank right so, yeah, I mean, if people are just copying Gale's list, which I, I, that's another question, you know, taking a look at the decks that just won and got second place, the Arc Peak and, of course, the Arc Gudra. I mean, do we expect to see some copy pasting happening between not not just the winning list, but the top eight, but I guess mostly the winning list, like Gudra? Is it going to yeah. be more much more represented, uh, percentage wise, in Lil than it was in Salt Lake? Um, I I think probably not too much more. I think uh, it was probably it, the same. I think it's probably like yeah. similar counts. But I think for sure. it, I think it probably should. I think it probably should end up being represented more. I think it's probably a better deck than people are going to probably give it overall credit for. And I don't think anyone's really going to add the mill tank. Like I don't think anyone's going to play the mill tank, right? Um, maybe so, after listening to this, maybe like maybe this conversation I'm having right now completely alters the meta from Leal <laughs> and uh, quad mill tank wins. But <laughs> every deck in top eight has one mill tank in it. But I would say if if I was going to if I felt confident in Gudra, if I tested it out finally, I haven't tested it yet. If I tested Gudra, felt confident in it, I would probably run it for Leal because I don't think anyone's going to add the mill tank and. Um, the, the meta is perceived to be very wide, even though I, like I said, I don't think the meta is actually as wide as people think it is because people are choosing to play decks that fall more into that tier two, tier three category where they're still solid, they're still good, but there should be more people playing the tier one decks. Um, but that's kind of not what's happening, which isn't a terrible thing. It's just kind of how the meta is evolving. Um, so at least the Gucci still being like a really powerful play, I think, overall. And I, that's probably what I would play if I felt confident. But I haven't, like I said, I haven't tested it. So I don't know how if I like the Tina matchup or anything like that. 
All right, one more question. Kind of a little bit of a short discussion here on Lil because I think a lot can be gleaned from uh, our discussion on the results of, of Salt Lake. So if you're yeah. wondering our and thoughts the... on decks and stuff, definitely check that section of the podcast out if you skipped ahead to this point. But um, yeah. most well, the likely... Biggest thing with Leo, I think, uh, yeah, the ahead. biggest thing with Leo is just going to... Uh, the biggest thing with Leo to think, I think bring up is... And it's nothing we can talk about, just like what are the... What's going to be the cool new decks that people bring, I think, right? Well, and my question... Yeah, so that that's what I'm looking forward to seeing is like especially some of these players we mentioned earlier, seeing what they've they've been testing and working out with. Yeah. We have no clue what um, that is yet. Yeah. Well, outside of the unknown, most likely deck to make top eight in France this weekend that was not in top eight of SLC. So things like between, I guess, mostly going to be Mew, um, Radiant Zard, uh, Sableye decks, um, Zoark, any of these type of things. Wh which of the decks that was not in top eight of Salt Lake do you think is most likely to be in top eight this weekend? Um, and let me take up uh, it was really I mean, <laughs> Reggie's kind of like very really gave us a lot of options here, didn't they? <laughs> more Reggie and cut, so that gave us a lot of options. Um, I'm gonna go with that's hard. I, I, I mean, I think Muse the obvious choice because the Lost Box decks, the Lost Gate and Sables are just haven't seemed very powerful in the meta overall. So I think Muse kind of the obvious choice. But uh, I'm gonna go with Zorark. Let's go with a Suyin Zorark. Maybe someone just uh, dodges the one prizers and and uh, you know beats down everything else. I'm gonna say Sableye Radiant Zard mostly because I feel like it would not be a big su surprise to see Tord play the deck once again. And when Tord shows up with the deck, I wouldn't be surprised to see him, of course, uh, in top eight of the events. And he's kind of been someone the last few formats that he's kind of picked a deck and stuck with it. You know, he did that with Urshifu in the yep. Brilliant Stars format. He played that for pretty much most of the format. He played Palkia in Milwaukee and at NAIC. He did change it up for Worlds with that <laughs> the Vikavolt deck, but... Um, yeah, I mean, he's kind of been sticking with with the same thing, it feels like. So on the back of Tord, I'm going to say Sableye Charizard. <laughs> <laughs> Fully all in on Tord <laughs> with the Sableye Charizard. There was a couple, actually, speaking of Vault, there was a couple of Vaults at uh, at uh, Salt Lake City, which is pretty cool to see. Yeah, uh, Charlie we, Lockyer with it. We saw Charlie Lockyer with it. We had him on the stream in round three. And then also yeah. Liam Halliburton, the seniors world champ, was playing it. Uh, both of them ended up getting championship points i believe but it, neither of them made day two i think there was a couple like vikavolt ish decks in day two though um there's definitely some strategies to be explored there i do think it's great against kind of a more narrow meta it's great against the comfy engine decks it's great against palkia but against the arceus decks it doesn't feel nearly good enough right so arceus yeah Kudra, really good against awesome but yeah. yeah falls off against falls off against just like the big pokemon that attack and like i don't even know how good it is against something like reggie right like your three hit koing a reggie yeah um so and once you get a rock online like once you just find the energy and attack with red ice or reggie rock they're in trouble so yeah probably i mean guess it depends like, if you ko two reg ice and that's it then they don't have an attacker set up then you kind of win because they can't use ordinary rod but getting to that point seems like it takes a while you can also manually attach your energies because you have time. You also play, that is, yeah. <laughs> you play eight draw supporters in the deck, which is not something yep. most decks are doing right now. So it feels like the Vikavolt deck is not going to be great against Reggies. Yeah, it doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound right. Who knows? Maybe later in the year, though. Vikavolt's had its moments. Maybe it'll get sure. one again. 
Well, Azul, I think that's going to do it for this week's episode. We really appreciate everyone listening, and thank you all for the support as always. Please be sure to leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform wherever you are listening right now. And if you're watching on YouTube, be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel. I actually looked at the analytics right before we started uh, recording Azul, and did you know that only 50% of the people who listen to our videos are subscribed to the YouTube channel. What the heck are they doing? You know, it just takes one little click of the button, wow. click subscribe, easy enough, right? Yeah, it's super easy. <laughs> click the sub button, uh, help us out, support the, support the content. We appreciate it. Yes, and uh, yeah, thank you all so much for listening. If you want to connect with us and keep up to date with us, the best way to do that is gonna be on Twitter. You can follow myself at TrainerChip. Azul is at Azul underscore GG. And you can also follow the podcast at Uncommon underscore Energy. Don't forget, every single Tuesday, 7 a.m. EST. Good luck to anyone playing in Lil Regionals this weekend or anything else going on. And that's going to do it for us. We'll get out of here. Thank you so much for listening. See ya. Peace.